of next week's topic, which is cuts to the public service or deficit financing. What are Alberta's best options? Dr. Chris Nickel is speaking to this topic, and for all of you left and right people, that should be an interesting debate and question and answer period. Say what? Just looking at my eyes, just going, ooh, yes, controversy complied. Um, once again, thanks for a great meal. Country Kitchen, yummy, yummy, especially those cookies. Mm. Yes, indeed. Um, so, uh, I'm moderating the question and answer. I would invite you to keep your questions short and uh, without a lot of introductory remarks. Um, please identify yourself when you come to the microphone, and the microphone is right there. And uh, no questions from the floor, please. So, um, we have half an hour for question and answers. And I would invite Mike to come to this speaker, or this microphone, and I will have a microphone off to the side to um, make sure that you all comply with my rules. Okay. Here we go, first speaker. This is my muscle, by the way, so hey. Okay. Oh, this isn't on. I, I can hear you. On? Oh. Okay. I mean, I've got a loud voice. Loud voice. Too. There you go. <laughs> I don't need a mic either, but anyway, thank you so much for your presentation. My name is Frances Schultz. My question is, when it comes to family, do any of these rules apply on a Hutterite colony? So at this point in time, the way that they've made the definitions, of course, is that if they are husband, wife, mother, brother, aunt, uncle, due to the relationships traditionally found on the Hutterite farms for the farming and ranching aspect they would likely be exempt um, whether that maintains that way going forward I honestly don't know but at this point in time the way that we're looking at it is that yeah if you are the brother the aunt the uncle or otherwise yes you are a family member uh, and therefore would be exempt now, like I say, there are different ideas around that. That's unfortunately sits at a higher level than me. Okay, thank you. Oh, I like this. Uh, this was better than the town hallways. Were Who was at the town hall? Sorry. Okay. Okay. Hi, I'm Bev Mundelatherstone. Hi, Bev. Hi. That was lovely. Very nice. Very organized. Enjoyed that. Thank you. I have two questions. Okay. One is, if, if um, a farm worker, an employee, mm -hmm. who is not a family member, refuses to do the job, mm -hmm. and the employer threatens to sue them, okay. what recourse does that employee have? Is there an ombudsman or something like that? So right now, with the legislation now being in place, of course, the, the worker, having jurisdiction exactly as you've explained, would have the right to refuse an imminent danger situation. That simply then starts a chain of events where that person notifies the employer to say, hey, this is bad for me. I'm going to get seriously hurt, killed otherwise. You need to investigate and decide, okay, yeah, you're right. We can do something else. Or, no, no, this is normal. This is part of the job. You were hired and trained to do this. And at that point in time, direction given back to the worker as to what the investigation resulted from that. Um, if for whatever reason 
the worker was terminated as a result at the end of the day, uh, there are avenues for what we call disciplinary action complaint investigations where they would notify the uh, occupational health and safety of the situation, that they notified their employer that there was an imminent danger, that they were going to get hurt, and the employer then took disciplinary action, you know, whatever that may be, termination or otherwise, we would investigate to see was it yes or no. And then at that point, at our level, we can actually say, okay, no, you have to hire the worker back, you need to pay them severance or whatever uh, options are there within le the legislation to do. A civil lawsuit, like you're saying, would be something honestly between, you know, he goes out and hires a lawyer and chances are you're gonna have to get a lawyer at the end of the day and, and then it goes down that wrongful dismissal side of things and that's outside of our legislation. Okay, <clears throat> thank you. Um, in regard to the deaths of the the um, three girls yes. that fell in, that suffocated in the grain grain truck. Yeah. So I'm wondering who protects, under whose jurisdiction does protection of family farm workers come, and um, what is the history of not protecting f family workers and unpaid workers on farms? Second question, unfortunately for me, is a little bit difficult to ask or answer, I guess, because I'm just not familiar with the history side of things. I can anecdotally say, yeah, I've dealt with a lot of uh, incidents, accidents, and otherwise of family members, my, my own family even included. Uh, but in terms of advocating for that, you know, Alberta Public Safety, Alberta Health Services, those are the ones that deal with public safety. And essentially, if they were to be considered not a worker, it would be perhaps the medical examiner's office, uh, the Fatality Inquiries Act, if, if it is a fatality, and things do come through that avenue. Okay? Okay. Thank you. Hi, Frank DeGroote. Hey, Frank. I um, just would like to ask a question about a contractor. I'm an ag consultant. I check fields under contract yep. for producers. Would, what would the requirement be for me or someone in that profession so basically as a contractor you you yourself are the employer so you're self-employed you contract to the to the farmer themselves or, or however you go so you are an employer responsible for your health and safety you're filling both the role of worker and employer so you know you would be expected to have your uh, your health and safety programs in place now the interesting thing is of course you're not producing crops, you're not cultivating, you're not growing, you're not doing anything. You're in the maintenance side of things, essentially, unfortunately. No different than we look at those that uh, uh, SMC equipment or, uh, or any of those that, yeah, they're contracted to come out to the farm and fix tractor, but they're not cultivating, they're not technically the farmer, they're a contractor, they're an employer on their own, they have to have their health and safety programs in place. So if you are under a bigger organization, they know you're on your own. So you may want to talk with, so essentially you're a sole proprietor, you're the employer. Um, you may want to look at developing a small health and safety program, you know, getting a hold of Albert Ag and, and otherwise to say, okay, what's available to me? Uh, and just the basics, of course, of hazard assessment, emergency response plans, what do I need to do to protect, you know, yourself at the end of the day? Okay, thank you. Uh-oh, it's going to be a race. Who gets there first? <laughs> oh, Newt by a hair. Hi, my name is uh, Knut Peterson. Uh, 
I asked you at the table here, so I'll ask you again in public. Uh, uh, my uh, 35 years of farming, I can think of uh, many times I probably should have uh, not been here any longer. Mm. <coughs> Uh, regarding uh, ownership and uh, family members, can they be a uh, part of the part of the uh, act if they so choose? Unfortunately, the way the act is written, they can't opt in. You know, either you have jurisdiction or you don't have jurisdiction for the Occupational Health and Safety Act. I w personally, again, from the paramedic side of me, from the farm family side of me, and from the occupational health and safety side of me, says, yeah, you know what? You should have a health and safety program of some kind. Um, it's just a matter of, is it actually mandated that you must do it, or you think it's a good idea and it's morally right at the end of the day? Um, like I say, within my family, we had that discussion around safety training and, okay, you're gonna go operate the tractor. Okay, what does that look like? Uh, he's not mandated to follow the OHS Act or anything at that point in time, but you know what? Teach him young, and 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 maybe it's worthwhile. So, um, but no, there's no ability to opt in that way. Okay. Thank you. Yes, sir. Mike, thank you for your presentation. Absolutely. <coughs> Terry Shillington is my name. Um, Related to the Shillingtons up north. Probably in some shirt tail fashion. Okay, fair enough. Just just seeing if uh, we're related or not. I'm sure I probably, if it looked hard uh, enough, we're uh, probably not, a couple of shirt tail relations. In we don't here. we don't meet around the same Christmas tree, though. I can. Show oh, you. okay. There you go. Um, I'm curious. When this was rolled out, there was quite a to do. Mm -hmm. uh, the 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 presentation you made around the present act is that is that in the original act or was there were there changes made as a result of the the fufara and the opposition that raised and the concerns raised and so on, or, or do, are we looking at the, what was the original rollout? They, this is still the original rollout. They, they, they changed the definition of worker, they changed the definition of work site, and then they changed the farm and ranch regulation in there to, to clarify those parts. What was changed in December uh, and, and agreed to in uh, the legislature on December 10th, 2015, okay, uh, December 10th was my birthday, not to my grandmother anymore, it's that day of that bill now, but uh, no, on that day, um, that was the legislation that was put forward and it has not changed. So what they rolled out at that time is exactly what it is still now, with the exemptions uh, in place. Does that answer that? Sorry, Mike? hold on, maybe not quite. Mike, could well, just to clarify, did the act in its original form include family members, or, or which, how, was, how were the exemptions changed? Oh, sorry, the, so the act that was in place prior to January 1st? The, yeah, prior to January 1st, there was no family member exemption in there. Uh, farming and ranching was exempt. If it, if, if it was directly or indirectly involved farming, ranching, raising of crops, cultivation, raising of animals, maintenance, beekeeping, and otherwise, it was exempt, and it didn't matter what you were doing, if you were building a barn on the, on the farm, you were exempt, the, the guy building the barn was exempt. Uh, if somebody came onto the farm to fix the tractor, okay, farmer's exempt, the guy who's actually fixing the tractor was exempt, even though in his regular shop and regular duties, he may have been uh, fully under the, under the act, the fact that he went to the farm made it exempt. So, uh, but the family member thing, didn't come into uh, effect until January 1st. That was that was brand new. So, Mike, can you explain 
with a little bit more detail why they took family members out? Was Can you see the reason uh, why? I don't know. At the end of the day, I'm sure it had something to do with the backlash uh, within town halls, perhaps. Like I say, that that's that's a political thing at the end of the day, and unfortunately, that's that's not one that I deal with. So why it was done, I honestly I can't speak to. Okay, thank you. Hello, my name's Debbie Gregorash. Hey, Debbie. Uh, in 1974, I got my Diploma of Agriculture and worked on farms and ranches across the country. And I, I, I would say I almost got killed about four times. And That's about uh, right. had various other issues happen. But um, when I was in agriculture college, nobody mentioned farm safety and farm rights, farm worker rights, and all this sort of stuff. And I'm just one, and of course, we had no sense of mortality, so we didn't even think about whether what we're doing is dangerous or not. <laughs> so I'm just wondering if uh, you make this presentation or if there are some kind of presentations on farm safety at, um, uh, at the college. Yes, absolutely. Okay. So one thing that we've really worked with, and Alberta Agriculture themselves have, have recognized that, yes, here's the rule side of things, and this is what everybody's going to be expected to do, but Alberta Agriculture will take a really big role in what does the policies look like? What are some procedures out there that can be done? What are best practices around that? And of course, the generation that's coming up now, we all know it's all about why. You know, why am I doing this? Why is this? What's in it for me? And so they ask these questions now. Is this the best way? Uh, whereas, of course, in days of old, granddad said, do this. Yes, sir. You didn't question it. It's not, well, why am I standing in the puddle while that's going on? You know, um, exactly, because you got the, you learned what a switch was in a hurry. Uh, and it's not the one on the wall. Uh, so, you know, things like that, absolutely. But we have partnered up and, and working with Alberta Ag to get that messaging out there. And they, they, they've actually hired four safety, uh, health and safety advisors that also go out and do these presentations around the province. Uh, and actually, I'd done a number of presentations where I led with this presentation, and then they came right in behind me and said, okay, now that he's done, here's what we can do to, uh, to help you. And it was great. It's worked good so far. Okay, thank you. Yes, sir. I'm Avatanis, and I'm from before 64. When I came in 59 to this country, I was told by the farmer not to step in any flag spin because you could drown. Yep. And when I get tired, I should stop the tractor and take a rest. So there was some knowledge. I mean, they weren't all dumb farmers. Yep. Thank you. Yep, absolutely. Thank you. And, and you're right. It's this, the school of common sense, right? Absolutely. Yes, sir. Hi, my name is Mike McKay. Good name. Just a, a comment that uh, I spent 25 years in the Mounted Police, a lot of it in, in Alberta, mm -hmm. and I, I've probably been to uh, maybe 15 farm fatalities, yep. and this was back in the 60s, 70s, mm -hmm. and in those days what happened was we went out, and we looked, and we took some pictures, and we said, yeah, <coughs> you really shouldn't stick your hand in the baler when it's still running. Yep. And that was it. There yep. was there, I mean, most of the t most of the time there wasn't even a uh, inquiry. No, and there was never much of a report other than maybe in the local paper. So what's no. happening now is is really important. Oh. The education part. And 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 I agree with you 100%. It's one of those ones where unfortunately, 
you know, it's maybe taken a little bit of time to get there. Uh, but again, I don't know of a single grain auger that has a DNA tester on it that says, oh, whoops, yeah, you're a family, we can't touch you, or, or no, you're not, so we're going to capture you. Uh, it's not like Uncle Walter in the day where you go to shake hands with him and he says, don't do as I do. Okay, yeah, I'm, I'll remember that. So, no, I appreciate the comment. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Could you talk a little bit about um, the regulations that are coming? You mentioned them in your talk. You said that some of them are in the developmental stage and some are in review. Mm -hmm. Can you talk a little bit about the process, if you know about it? And I'll, I'll speak to what I can. So basically, we all know the technical working groups have been uh, putting their information. Oh, sorry. I can try to. I, I, I wasn't really involved a lot in the technical working groups, but basically the, the two main ones that were involved for occupational health and safety, there, there are 29 parts to the OHS code itself. And it speaks to everything from powered mobile equipment to chemicals to noise to, uh, you know, all of the general hazards that are expected to be found in just about any industry. And then what else is specific to the farm and ranch side and looking at what else is, what are other provinces doing, what's BC, Alberta, Saskatchewan, Manitoba, you know, the other similar provinces doing that way. So the technical working groups were, were struck to look at that, look at what's going on, how does this fit, what makes sense, what's reasonable. It took them a long time, and now I know the one for OHS for the regulations was a large group, and to get consensus and agreement at the end of the day that yes, this is in, this is not in, my understanding is, is quite difficult because of course everybody has differences of opinion as to what's reasonable and what's not. So that information, they worked on it for I believe approximately six to seven months and at that point in time they wrapped it all up. They then presented their recommendations uh, to the minister who then gives it to uh, legend policy to say okay let's draft this now into a working document of what the legislation will look like. At that point in time, same as with employment standards that are already been put out there for, for uh, comment, it will be put out on the website for public consultation again to say, okay, where are we at? Right, wrong, otherwise, they'll then receive comments for whatever period of time they choose. They'll take that then back again, tweak the legislation that they'll have drafted by that time. Legislation. So they'll, they'll tweak that, that legislation at that time. And again, this is the code specifically uh, that we're looking at. They'll tweak that legislation to say, okay, is this now, we got it, put it out one last time, and then it will most likely end up being adopted into the, uh, into the act itself and into the regulation. Who, is, who are the technical working groups? Are that members of the public? Yeah. Expertise. Yeah. No. There was uh, each each technical working group was chaired by a uh, selected person who had industry understanding or otherwise. Uh, I, I saw the names, but honestly, I can't speak to. But they're members of the. Public. They're members of the. Yeah. They're absolutely. Not political. New. No, not that I know of. No. Right. Uh, you know, we had a few in Grand Prairie. In fact, uh, kind of caught me off guard because I was sitting beside him and, hey, yeah, what are you doing here? Oh, I'm the uh, technical working group. Whoops. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Sorry. Thank you. Go ahead. Thank you for your excellent presentation. I just wanted, my name is Barb Phillips. Morning, Barb. I nope, just like, would like to comment that uh, 
Yes, we got Bill 6 with a lot of uh, kicking and screaming into the 21st century, I would say. But anyway, we're here now, and I'd just like you to comment on how now that we have Bill 6 in Alberta, how we are comparing to the other provinces, because we were the last one in, I believe. Yeah. So now in terms of comparison, are you talking the legislation itself or accident numbers, or, or what do you think? Okay, so basically as part of the, the technical working groups and part of the initial discussion, we were internally tasked with going out to say, okay, what does BC do? What does Saskatchewan do? What does Manitoba do? Uh, what does Ontario do? That all have legislation already and how have they enacted it? How have they put it in place? Uh, how do they enforce their legislation? What does it look like? Uh, so we, we have that comparison. Numbers-wise, because we didn't really, for OHS start tracking numbers until January 1st, 2016, I can't say where the number's at. Historically, uh, there's a report, a uh, Canadian Accident Injury, um, Canadian Agricultural CAIR report, uh, that tracks on a yearly basis the number of fatalities both in Alberta and nationally. Uh, and it's a very, it's a, a hundred pages, but it's very interesting to read that historically it's been 18 fatalities a year. And of those 18 fatalities, there are 25 serious incidents that happen uh, for each one of those. And here's the basic numbers based on uh, what they get. And the breakdown of 70% of those fatalities are the farmer themselves. And another 10% are the immediate family member uh, that equipment rollovers, uh, equipment entanglements are one of the biggest ones out there, drowning chemicals and, and all that uh, stuff in between. Uh, it's a very interesting report, but it's amazing how consistent it actually is. So uh, at this stage of the game, like I say, we're just starting to track things and see where we're at with OH&S. Uh, so I couldn't even say, are we better or worse? Are we trending up, trending up? I, I just don't know. But if you do, for one reason or another, actually want to read the report, it's available online. It's, it's interesting to see the data that's there. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Thank you very much for your report and your humor as well. Uh, Mary Shillington is my name, and, and the answer to the Shillington question, they all came from Ireland and propagated very, very that, generously. That explains <laughs> so. a lot. I'm going to have to make sure I tell Bob that. So, yep. Uh, uh, my question is, uh, growing up in Saskatchewan, living in Manitoba, what is the history about why Alberta didn't have this until now? My, at, at the end of the day, I'm sure it's a political answer at the end of the day, to be honest. Yeah, I suspect as yeah. much, yeah. yeah. It's, it, it, I, I, I hate to say it. Yeah. I'm, I'm not the politician, though, so I, I honestly, I, I can't answer it. My name is Van Christou, and I'd like to thank you as well for a, 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 an excellent presentation. Um, on this matter of, of uh, how, how the whole picture is changing, um, do you have long enough records in any of the other provinces that would give us any kind of indication of, how, of, of whether or not these accidents are, are becoming more common and more fre frequent or not? BC, BC's had records in place for quite a while. Um, 
it would be interesting to compare some of their stuff. They, they're predominantly, of course, there are a lot of ranches in BC. They don't have as much grain as we do, uh, but still they have a lot of, of farms that way. So it, it would be interesting to compare, and again, within that same data, and perhaps as part of the presentation, I will send you a copy of that report for your membership, uh, maybe to, to answer some questions. But yeah, it, it would be interesting to see as to from province to province, year to year, where does the data? Like I say, just holistically right now, it's actually been very consistent that every year there's plus or minus one or two fatalities, the same numbers, the same number of incidents. And you know, you can see going back decades, yes, definitely things have come down, but is that technology, is that, you know, just kids nowadays asking questions, why am I doing it this way? You know, what is it? So I, I know there's a whole, there's a whole um, study, I'm sure, in the schools and, and safety uh, colleges and, and just the industry itself asking, okay, why is it going this way and, and it, what does it look like? As the WCB data continues to evolve year after year, now then you'll get some really good trending to be able to see what's going on. Oh, it is. It's it's a it's a it's a you know a, a, a complete generational change. Uh, like I say, from what my great grandfather told me to what my grandmother's told telling me to what my uncle is to now what his kids are throwing. I was like, okay, it, it's completely different. Absolutely. Yes, sir. Uh, thank you for the very informative speech. Uh, my doctor and I discussed this subject a few. Uh, a few months ago mm -hmm. because he's had over 12 accidents that he's, he's serviced wow. uh, on the farms. Yep. Out of the 12, six were totally invalided, mm -hmm. no compensation, no jobs for life, three of them never worked again, mm -hmm. and they're paupers, so mm -hmm. to speak. So uh, the timely effort that uh, this government has has, has now adopted has to be commended, of course. Uh, I worked for a farmer with nine sections of land near the U.S. border uh, for a couple of years, and we had one, one terrible accident with a, uh, a young, young uh, Japanese boy from Vauxhall, and uh, it went to court, and basically, uh, they they couldn't they couldn't make a recommendations or or or, uh, uh, or find the farmer for safety infractions. Yeah. So uh, the, again, I, all I want to say is compliment the uh, provincial government that you apparently work for for right at this time. Absolutely. That the other political parties didn't think it was necessary. And bless you, that's Great. all. I, Thank you, say. sir. I appreciate it. Absolutely. You. Thank, Thank you. Thank you. Well, I'd ask a second question if I have the moderator's permission. Oh. Uh, <laughs> okay. Continue. Throughout your presentation, I've been trying to get my head around why family members are exempted. And I didn't, uh, maybe didn't pay enough attention to the, um, to the opposition uh, uh, Fufra, but but uh, as I understand it, if I ha have a farm and I hire the neighbor's 16-year-old son to work in harvest time, he's covered. 
if I hire my own son, he's not covered. And uh, so it's a twofold question. Is there a logic that I'm missing around that? Secondly, do other provinces have any more comprehensive coverage for uh, family members as well as uh, the neighbor's kids? So within, and again, I, I'm, I'm not a WCB expert by any means, and, and, and I can speak a little bit to that. Anybody can apply for personal coverage of a family member otherwise. You know, so even though they may be exempt off the bat, you can, if it's your family member, you can take personal coverage so that they are covered. That can be done, and I believe all provinces have that ability to opt in uh, for coverage. Uh, even though as, a, as an employer, you're the employer, you can, you can go without the coverage if you want. You can opt in for personal coverage. The first question, honestly, is one of those questions that right, wrong, you know, it's an opinion question as to whether it should or shouldn't, who did, who didn't, and I, I, can't, I can't answer that one. For, for that one, yes. The second question, yes, is for WCB. But the first question, like I say, it's a political discussion as to why they decided to, didn't decide to. Uh, like I say, from my own personal experience, I don't know of a single grain auger that has an, a, 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 an ID on it that will sit there and pick out what your DNA is to say that you can or, oh, no, we're not going to skip you. I'm sorry. You know, like I say, I understand what you're saying. Thank you. Hi, I'm Bobby Cullum. Um, I just want to provide a tiny bit of insight just because I remember the Facebook discussions. It's just, Gotta love social media. Yeah. But um, as, as someone who has been a farmer mm -hmm. and has many farm friends, I understand it's, it's more of the, um, the idea of the farm being able to self-sustain itself with the family. Um, so I do think it becomes cost prohibitive if you insure your entire family, it's also emotional because it hasn't been like that in the past. And so I don't think that any one farmer would look at their family member and value them less, yeah. but they do look at their family member and go, like my dad had 15 of us so we could have a farm mm -hmm. and I got like four of you, let's make this work. And, um, and it became, I think for farm families, too much government hands on, you know, what they're doing, their operations. This is family, this is what farm is, right? Mm -hmm. So um, that doesn't really answer anything. I mean, once again, it is political, but it's also an emotional issue, I think, Agreed. for the farm family. And, and I think we've seen that, whether it was town halls or whether social media or otherwise, you know, again, I think everybody in Alberta at some point in time will probably tie themselves to a farm somewhere and to be able to anchor and say, hey, yeah, my family is here, and are they any less valuable or otherwise just because we're farming, you know? So yeah, very, very emotional subject, absolutely. Thank you. I think that can serve as our last comment for the time we have together. So once again, thank you for joining us at the Southern Alberta Council on Public Affairs, and we look forward to seeing you next week at the same time at the same place. Thank you, Mike. Thank you very much, everyone.